Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear David Cough. I started jokingly referring to Mary as the angel of death, you know? She didn't like that. <laughs> that and more. But before that, I want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Harry's. Please visit harrys.com and use the promo code RISK to save $5 off your first purchase. And now, how about a little ragtime? Oh, mailing and shipping are very important, but going to the post office sure is shit ink. That's why I love a certain little something called stamps. You can buy and print your U.S. postage using your computer and your printer, too. We use stamps to come right here at risk and tell tales about butts and poo. That's right, and right now you can sign up for Stamps.com and use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's Stamps.com. Enter RISK! Now here's the show.
kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Mascaras. Behind me now, the kind of band that makes you just have to move. <laughs> Various parts of your body move very quickly. Mascaras is in uh, Portland, Oregon. We used another song of theirs in the uh, latest T.S. Madison story. And we're calling today's episode Live With It. These are three stories of people who were in pretty overwhelming uh, situations that were kind of like, ah, at the time. But they found that they had the resilience and the grounding to just deal, make it through. We all learn that over and over and over that ultimately we are okay. It's very hard to see it sometimes. Our vision of that gets very, very clouded at times. However, when we calm down, when we kind of let go of all the screaming and yelling going on inside our heads, we can go back to this place deep inside where we're fine, we're solid, we've got all we need, and there's peace there. I am recording this on Friday the 13th as the news of the Paris attacks are coming in, and I'm thinking not only of, oh my God, peace to the people who are survivors of this, but my God, I I just wish that, I mean, talk about clouded, talk about clouded vision. The people who perpetrate this sort of hateful, hurtful violence. I just wish that those people too could wake up from that hateful dream they're in and connect to the part of themselves that's somewhere in all of us and is peace. <laughs> Okay, got a little heavy uh, in the opening hosting tonight. It's an emotional night. Uh, and our first story here is actually a rather lighthearted one. So let's move on to that. In a little bit, we're going to hear from L.A.-based comedian Byron Bowers. But before that, we're going to hear from a rising star here in New York City, the comedian Amber Nelson, with a story we call... The Social Graces. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Hi, no, no, it's just me. Hi. Oh my God, it's just so horrible. I, um, my, okay, here's the thing. My parents are very restless people. Very restless. Like, they don't like to keep a job or keep a home for a certain amount of time. You know, they're much older than me, anybody else here. So it means that for me, growing up, I moved around a lot and I was alone. And I remember a few times they told me, um, Amber, hey, we're going to only be in this town for a few months, so don't make any friends because you're going to have to leave them and it's going to hurt you later. 
which I think at the time they meant it to help me, but in the long run, they made me a comedian, so. <laughs> that's, that's fine. They were only trying to help. <laughs> so they moved around, and I moved around through a lot of just crazy towns. I lived in Saudi Arabia, I lived in the United States, I lived in every, everywhere you could imagine. They were just like, let's try this one, like it's a casino of life, you know, who cares? I remember that I didn't know how to, t I didn't know how to speak to people. I, I just did not growing up, because I was, I just didn't know how to talk to people. I didn't know what they wanted, what they liked. One of my friends, quote unquote, he was just like, uh, sometimes I like to stand on the side of the wall and I can melt into a wall and nobody can see me in the wall. And I was like, I guess that's how people are. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was very, it was very difficult. It was such a difficult childhood. Oh, it's so hard, Daddy, it's so hard. <laughs> it was, but I remember we were moving, we were gonna move to Louisiana, and I had some family down there that I hadn't really met, like some, it's an aunt and a couple cousins that were a little bit older than me, and I was like, oh, this is my chance to make friends. This is it. I got like a little bit of an N. I'm not going to be completely alone. Granted, this is before the internet when I was moving around towns. So I was just like, where am I? Poplarville? I guess we'll figure this out. You know. So I moved to Louisiana and my parents dropped me off at my aunt's house and they went to another state to go finish packing to move. So I'm alone with this family that's a part of my family that I, I don't really know, I, I haven't really met. And they, they're gorgeous. They're gorgeous people. They're just beautiful. They're all kept, they're, they're kept up. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have roaches? <laughs> What's going on? Where's the rat traps? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. And we're all very religious, you know, but they're, I'm religious in the way of like, God, please help me, please! <laughs> And they're religious in the way of like, well, it's what the Lord is. It's just proper to do. So, and I'm just sitting there and I'm making awkward conversation with my aunt and my, my, my uh, what do you call her? My fucking uh, cousin. Sorry. You know how it is. <laughs> it's hard and they're all beautiful. And I'm just like, tap water is good. Just like, I don't know how to talk to people. <laughs> yes. You don't have an outhouse where so I can go shit in your bathroom? <laughs> just such proper, beautiful people. And like my cousin, the girl older than me, she's captain of the dance team. She's just, oh my God, stunning, stunning woman. And, um, so I get invited to this um, Southern Baptist pool party. It's, it exists. It exists. I want to riff on Southern Baptist, but they're all the fucking same. You know what I mean? Like every denomination is the same. But So we get invited to a pool party. It's a church function. And my cousin, this gorgeous, stunning, like she wears this, it's a blue leopard print bikini. And she looks like she is going to be on Playboy next month, but not show the nipple. You know what I mean? Just like class it up. Um, 
And I, she's like, wear this. You're going to look great for the pool party. And I'm like, this is my chance to make friends. This is it. And I didn't have a bathing suit. My parents are gone. I'm alone. I don't know what's appropriate right now. So I put on the bathing suit, and I just look like a painting that's askew a little bit. You know, you're just like, can we just fix it? <laughs> it does not look quite right. I'm just like a 7-Eleven hot dog, just sort of laying there and rolling in it. <laughs> it looks weird. Um, so I'm in it, and I go to the pool party, and oh my God. I went, to, I went to this place, never been to Louisiana before, and this home, it had two stories. Two motherfucking stories! You got one story, and you have another story? There's more rooms to this house? It was wild, man. And they, they had chandeliers? Get the fuck out of town. What is a chandelier? <laughs> Their pool was below ground. Amazing, and everybody was so polite and nice, and they passed around little hamburgers. Oh my god! And I'm just sort of showing up, like, "Hey guys, <laughs> who wants to talk about horror movies? <laughs> my favorite movie is It." <laughs> and they're just, "What? Uh, <laughs> what are you talking about, weird girl?" But I'm trying to be nice, you know. I'm trying to be nice and just trying to like make friends. God, let's make friends. And I um. So I get in the pool, and I'm swimming around, and all the other people are swimming away from me, like I have a bowler or something. And, um, but there's this one, one kid I made friends with. It's one guy. He's my friend. Uh, his name is Barrett, and he had Down syndrome. He still has Down syndrome. You can't get rid of it. Um, <laughs> he has Down syndrome. And... Um, that's fine. We're cool. We're talking about hot dogs. They had hot dogs at the party. Hot dogs are super cool. He's a friend. We're making conversation. I've got a friend right now. Um, so they're serving more hot dogs, right? And I, I get up out of the pool. And I'm like, all right, Barrett, I'm going to go get more hot dogs. And I get up out of the pool in my, in my bikini. And then Barrett goes, <laughs> he's like, you don't leave me. And uh, he grabs me. Because nobody's friends with Barrett either. And uh, he the grabs, he grabs me, pulls me back in the pool. My tits pop out. By the way, I know nobody at this party. This is my only chance to make friends. This is my only chance to be put into civilization. He pulls me back. My tits pop out. He gets excited about my tits popping out, right? So he pulls me, he puts me down, and starts dry humping me in the water he gets very excited you know we all have our emotions <laughs> he starts I don't know if I can say dry humping if it's in water but there was no penetration <laughs> to be clear there's no penetration but um, he definitely like I can feel his penis against my thigh and he's just going at my thigh and I can't he's got he's strengthful man strengthful that's a word and he <laughs> he is like holding me down in the water I cannot move thrusting my head is in there I can't I thought I'm I thought I'm going to die like in the worst way <laughs> 
Like, oh, how did she die? Oh, well, she got fucked to death by that kid with Down syndrome. In front of church. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> oh my God, he's holding me down. I cannot move. And I occasionally I look up and I take a breath and I look and I see all the churchgoers surround the pool, just like mouths agape. You know, they don't know what to do. They have no, it's just too wild for them, man. They've never seen that before. So then what saved me is a dog ran from the woods. <laughs> it started barking and hissing at Barrett so loud that he let go. He was scared of the dog, you know. Um... <laughs> He let go, and uh, the dog's barking at him, and you know the dog keeps him at bay away from me. Thank God, man's best friend, woman's best friend. And so I put my little preteen tits back in my bathing suit. Everybody's seen him. I don't know people's names, you know, but they know my tits. <laughs> and I get out of the pool, and I'm just like, now I have to make conversation with people. <laughs> And um, so I go to my aunt who drove me. Remember, my parents are nowhere near. Nowhere. They're in another state. And I go to my aunt. I'm like, Aunt Beverly, I have to go. Can we go right now? Please, I have to go. And she looks at me and she says, Amber, if you were to leave right now, no one would respect you. You have to stay and talk to these people. (laughs) She made me stay and talk to everybody which was, it made me very angry because she had the car. I couldn't, literally couldn't just run screaming in the woods. Um, She had, it made me very angry how to do this. Like, how dare you make me do this thing and like make me socialize. But then about 10, 15 minutes of it, I was so happy that somebody, somebody was just like, be sociable for God's sakes. You've got to do this. You've got to own up to what just happened. If, and she's right. If I were to leave at that moment, people would hiss at me forever. But if I just talk to people right then and there and show them, hi, I am a person. My name is Amber. Here's a funny, weird thing. I like horror movies, whatever. <laughs> then maybe I have a chance of making friends. And you know, she's right. She was absolutely right. And uh, we drove home afterwards. I made some friends and she was gripping the wheel, and she was like, uh, good job for you. Uh, you know, Barrett had a lot of strength, and you overcame. <laughs> Barrett's doing well now. He is now a, uh, a, bag, a bag, shopping bagger at Winn-Dixie. So, you know, we're all living our dreams. Okay, I'm Amber Nelson, and I got fucked by a Down syndrome kid. <laughs> talking about hot dogs hot dogs are super cool all right i'm gonna go get more hot dogs my tits pop out he gets excited about my tits popping out he grabs me starts dry humping me in the water and then barrett goes you don't leave me 
I want to talk about the first day, the day, one of the days that changed my life. Like, we all got days that, you know, we remember. Like, she just told hers. My, one, one of my days, just one, is uh, the day I found out my dad smoked crack. Uh, it was like 94. It was 1994. The world still was hopeful then. Um, I was still short. I was very superstitious. I was uh, a Christian fully into it. I ain't even curse during that time. You know what I mean? I would think it, but I never said it. <laughs> I just talk real slow, you know. <laughs> It'll be a blank, like, yeah, man, let's go to the stove. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I ain't say motherfucker, you know. It was during that time, like, I had visitation, right? I had the chance to go see my dad, you know, uh, which I was very excited about because he lived in Athens. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I haven't seen him that much since he got out of a mental institution. So I talked to him, and it sounded like he was getting his life back together. So I was like, oh shit, about to go see my dad. You know what I mean? This is gonna be dope. You know, he was telling me he had this Thunderbird. He just got like a late 80s Thunderbird. I had a chance to get in a Thunderbird, and uh, it was a coupe, blue, you know, nice plush interior. Had that real, like, smell like an old car. Smell used, you know. Uh, like somebody just fucked into it and was like, we should sell it. And, and then they gave him a deal on it because they was like, you ain't gonna be able to get them stains out right there. So we just gonna knock a couple hundred dollars off. And then that was the car he took his son in, you know what I mean? Which I ain't mad about that. Uh, it was a happy day and we had stuff planned for that day. Or oh, he planned stuff, but not like the way a woman would plan out a day just full of shit, but the way like a dude planned some stuff like, yo, we gonna get something to eat? <laughs> And we'll go see Adam Family Values. And then, you know, maybe I find a chick that's gonna give me some pussy, you know. But you gotta whisper it that low, cause that's when all the good shit happens. <laughs> As an adult, you talking to a kid, you'd be like, yeah, man, I think I'm about to go do some cocaine. You know, when you do that shit, you whisper it low, the better it is. You know, that means you was really waiting on it, you know? And, uh,. Then he took out $30. He gave me $30. And I never, to me, that's a lot of money to have cash. You know what I mean? To this day, I barely carry around $30. But that's a lot of money to have as a kid. You know what I mean? He was like, look, this is your money. It's your money. We're going to go to the movies, and we're going to go get something to eat, and I'll cover that. And I was like, oh, shit, this guy's doing it. You know what I mean? He's turning his life around. You know what I mean? So we pull up to my grandmother's house. Now, my grandmother lived on the street, Rose Street, which is a beautiful name for elderly people to live at. And <laughs> on this side is a church. It's an all-white church, you know what I mean? I remember this church. It's a flat church. Uh, my grandmother never went to this church. She went to a brown brick church up the street, which is weird to me, because it had stairs, and she was older, you know what I mean? So logically, I'm like, why don't you go to the flat church <laughs> that's flat on the ground? You know, landscape versus spending all that time going on the stairs which will hurt your knees, which will put you in more aches and pains, which will make you want to prayer more, which will make you go to church more. You know what I mean? You can cut your church time by 15%. <laughs> Just go to this flat church right here. <laughs> and then on Cross Fair, you know, she had hedges, you know what I mean? Beautiful hedges that was well trimmed because my grandfather kept them trimmed. Black and white house that he built, you know, farmland. You know what I mean? It's a beautiful place. We got out the car, and when we got out the car, somebody called his name like, hey, Don. And I looked up and it was like this weird like 
dude, like this real slim, sleepy, dingy looking dude, you know what I mean? Just shuffling up the street, like old, like he was older, like all these people are older than me, but it was it was a shuffle, like he still had the pimp step, but it wasn't right all the way together, like, you know, he fell on hard times with it, you know what I mean? He was like a, like a zombie, you know, he had like a zombie that was a fresh zombie, not like a zombie that's been a zombie for a long time. <laughs> But like he just turned, like he only missed a couple of baths and he was just shuffling up the street. What up, Doc? What's going on, man? You know, he had that shady like look in his eye. And my dad was like, nothing, man. I'm chilling with my son, man. Meet my son. And he was like, yeah, uh, like basically like fuck all that, you know? <laughs> like, what you doing? Like, run me up the street. He just said, run me up the street. My dad was like, nah, man, you know, I gotta take my son to the movies. You know, we gonna go kick it, get something to eat. I mean, I'm probably gonna get some pussy later on, you know? <laughs> And he was like, man, you know, he whispering in his ear, like, yo, man, da 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 you know what I mean? <laughs> Which in my mind, something popped off. You know, when two adults talk, and like, eh, then he was like, all right, I'll run you up the street. He's like, son, get in the car, you know what I mean? Got in the car, boom, I got in the back seat. You know, never even made it to see my grandma's house, you know what I mean? Got in the back seat, went around a block, couple blocks. And I noticed we pulled up to these projects, and I don't know if y'all know what projects look like, or government housing and shit, but you would know if you ran up on them. Cause your instinct would be like, nigga, that's the projects, you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't care what race you are, that's what your guts and feeling gonna tell you. That's what your chakra gonna say, like nigga, this is the projects right here. The third eye, you know what I mean? <laughs> now I'm not a stranger to pro I don't like projects, I'm not a stranger to them cause I got Family, various family members lived in projects in Athens. You know what I mean? You got Broad Acres, you got Uptown. These were Rock Springs uh, projects. I remember this Rock Springs because I had a young cousin die there when he was four from drowning in the, in the pool. And that's right, some of the projects in Georgia have swimming pools. Uh, it's not all that bad. But when you think about it, I think it was just a ploy to kill niggas anyway because <laughs> niggas don't really swim like that. You know what I mean? And if you drown it, ain't nobody gonna jump in and say you like motherfuckers had curls in their head. And it's like, you know, it's five hours in a chair and you fucked up. You, it's your fault you in the water. You know what I mean? I done spent all this time getting my shit processed. For you to, I ain't gonna fuck it up just for you. It's motherfucking Friday. You know, I'm trying to go out and get some pussy later on. For whatever reason, they let them drown. You know what I mean? I remember these projects, but we didn't go into projects. We went into this house. It was like tan. The molding was like brown. I'll never forget that color. And we went inside the house, and there was an emptiness inside of the house. It was dark, but only like a little bit of sunlight came. Like the sunlight was like, nigga, don't go inside, too. <laughs> like, uh, like, you know what I mean? So I remember it, was, it wasn't that dirty. Uh, it was a clean table. And, and it's like they was preparing something. You know what I mean? Like food was being prepared, but it wasn't cornbread. It smelled like how aluminum foil tastes. You know what I mean? If you ever put aluminum foil in your mouth, like when you pretending like you're making like a grill, <laughs> like you can't afford a gold platinum grill, so you put aluminum foil in there and it got that taste to it. You know, that's the smell like burning plastic. You know what I mean? And uh, it was an auntie figure there, and she was preparing things, lady, you know. And she brought out, she presented the rocks that looked like little Rice Krispie treats at the time. That's, I mean, little rice pieces of Rice Krispies. That's all I could think of, because that's what I ate as a kid, you know. And uh, she was like, is he eating? She didn't know who I was. You know, everywhere I go, he's like, hey, this is my son. He's like, he's joining us? 
That's what she was, because, you know, crackheads, they don't give a fuck. Crackheads will smoke in front of kids. They won't smoke cigarettes in front of kids, because that's a label saying don't smoke cigarettes in front of kids. But ain't no label on crack, you know what I mean? You do crack in front of everything, you know? But uh, he was like, nope. No, that's my son. Uh, he's not going to smoke. He's just going to sit here with us. And off instinct, I don't know what made me do this. I just looked outside. I got to get the fuck out of here. Because I seen New Jack City before. I know it's about to go down. <laughs> and I looked, and outside was a screen door open right here. And there was a basketball. Just the sun, just the sun just shined on the basketball. Just like Arthur's stone. Remember the sword Arthur had in the stone? There'd always be a light shining on the stone. And and it'd be like iron and stone, but this was like a basketball. It was rubber inside of rubble. You know what I mean? And I went out there. I was like, hey, can I play basketball? And he was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Go do that. Like, I just had the brightest idea in the world. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we're going to do. We're going to let him go outside and play basketball. We smoke these fucking rocks. I went outside, grabbed a basketball, boom. I made the court. I go to the projects and the court, like, oh shit. Now, you don't walk in nobody's projects without a reason to go there. That's a violation. You can get your ass beat or you can get killed. You know what I mean? And I already knew somebody that got murdered in these projects. So in my mind, I'm like, oh shit, I could be like number two, you know what I mean? Out of the family. But I started playing basketball and it started to set in, like, oh shit, this is some fucked up shit. This is very eerie. And I'm out there for a long time facing the fact. That uh, this is some fucked up shit going on. On top of the fact that I'm shooting air balls and missing layups because I wasn't good at basketball. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was just cut from, t- from trying out for some shit. So I felt like a double of failure. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. And uh, I was out there what seemed like an eternity. It probably was like 30 minutes or a little bit more than that. And then my dad come outside, you know, all excited. Like, oh, you playing basketball? He grabbed the ball, dribbled that shit and shot a brick. Bang! Which he didn't really give a fuck about that anyway. He was just like, hey man, you got that $20? You got $20 on you that I could get from you? And I was like, just staring at him. Like, someone inside was like, man, don't get this motherfucker $20. You know what I mean? But, you know, he gave it to me. And I was like, I guess I'd give it to him. But that shit was deep in my pockets. Because I ain't used to having money. You know what I mean? I mean, that shit was deep in my pocket. And it was folded. Like that little last square used toilet paper. That you have, you know, when you shit, you be folding that shit in the mini micro, like whatever. That's how deep that shit was in my pocket. So I pulled it out, gave him the 20. And he was like, all right. You know what I mean? He's like, I'll be right back. He's like, we still gonna go to the movies. You know, all that shit. Parents be hyping you up for and shit. And then he left. And I remember saying to myself, if he come back and ask for that 10, don't give it to him. I had to prep talk myself that shit. If he come back and ask for that 10, don't give it to him. And he came back. And he was like, hey, man, uh, you still got that 10 on you? And I'm like, this motherfucker know I had the $10 on me. <laughs> Fuck wrong with crackheads, you know what I mean? But I didn't know he was a crackhead at the time. I just knew he was high as shit, you know what I mean? I was like, nah, man, I, I ain't got it, you know? <laughs> oh, I was there, I ain't got it, you know, I'm sorry, you know what I mean? And uh, he was just like, damn, all right, all right, you want to be like that then? All right. And then he's like, I'll be back. And he went in the house, and I was like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Like, damn, man, we got a problem. We got a motherfucking problem right now. You know? But I was like, thinking positive still, like, man, maybe we can go to the movies now. You know? Ain't no more paper left. We're going to go to the movies. I just sped this thing up. But then I saw the taillights from the Thunderbird drive off. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. That's when my loneliness kicked in, abandonment. And I had to deal. I faced some shit then. Because I was like, maybe, you know, maybe he going to stop. And be like, yo, come on, man. Got the car warmed up. 
let's get the fuck out of here and go to the movies. But no, I saw them taillights disappear around the corner, and I was like, damn, this nigga just left me in the projects. In the projects where my cousin died, and I don't know nobody in this motherfucker. I don't know where to run, if some shit pop off, I don't know where to go, I ain't even from here. And then like the loneliness kicked in, right? I remember thinking like, damn, now everything else kicked in. Like, fuck. It was a time previous to this that my mom had to leave me because the state said she wasn't fit to be a good mother. So she was gone, boom. And then I had to deal with the fact that he just left, boom. And then like this voice, this like old voice that was in my head was just like, it's up to you now. You know what I mean? Like your mom ain't gonna make it. Your dad ain't gonna make it. It's up to you. Whatever you gotta do to get out of this situation, you gotta do it. But don't do any crime unless nothing else work out. <laughs> That's what I told myself. Unless nothing else, if all else fail, then you can go to killing and doing crime. <laughs> and then the military after crime don't work. But all this time, I'm shooting ball, boom, and I'm thinking this shit. Boom, and the ball felt heavy, then the motherfucker, life just kicked in. You know what I mean? I had to deal with the fact that, he, you know, he was in a mental home. I had to deal with the shit with my mom, and I think my great-grandmother just died, so it was just a bunch of shit, boom. As a teenager, you know, that you gotta go through, or some people don't, apparently don't go through, but that shit hit me at once. I'm like, damn, I wonder if all my other friends are going through this shit right now. Which they wasn't, you know what I mean? They was middle class, you know? <laughs> so, uh, he came back, picked me up, you know, apologized, like we might not be able to go to the movies today. And then we went to my grandmother's house, and I saw my grandmother, and they was like, hey, how was everything? How was the dinner? How was the movie? And I was like, we ain't make it. I just went to Rock Springs and shot basketball. And grandma was like, what the hell are you doing in Rock Springs? Ain't nothing good in Rock Springs. And then, like, she shot my dad a glance, and I couldn't even focus on that shit. Cause I just stayed quiet and kept everything inside because I was just wondering what the fuck I was going to tell my mama, you know what I mean? Because she was the, my mom was like a brute, you know, like, my dad is the sensitive, like, lovey-dovey guy. But I, was, I live with my mom, who is, like, the king of the shit. You know, she ain't give a fuck. So I was like, damn, what am I going to tell my mama? So my mom don't get in my ass for even trying to hang with my dad. And uh, that pretty much ended, you know what I mean, that night. But my life changed since then. And I remember, like, my dad went on to do drugs 10 years after that. That twenty dollars was the only thing I gave him. I never gave him no other money ten years or oh, since then. You know what I mean? I recently bought him a card for Father's Day, but that was about it. I held my own. You know, I stayed to that. You know what I mean? So, fast forward, I think four years later, right? I'm in the game. I'm in the crack game myself. You know what I mean? I'm in college, partial basketball scholarship to this private school. And we hustling, cause by this time life ain't fair. You know what I mean? I'm in college with no books. I don't know what the fuck going on. I'm just dropped off. I just got dropped off at this school, cause I was educated enough to go to this college. So I'm in college. People are getting money from scholarships and shit like that, but I'm just there. And an opportunity presented itself to make a little money. You know what I mean? Some good Wolf of Wall Street money. You know. <laughs> So I took it, man, and I liked it because it was. I, I would look. I remember looking at this crack and saying, like, I wonder how powerful you are. I saw what you've done to members of my family. 
but you will never get me. I was wrong, because if you sell it, you get addicted to it too. Because a lot come with drugs, you know what I mean, as a seller. You get money, you get power, you get pussy, you get power over people. Like I could make a dude run in the store and grab some shit and just be like, give me all that shit, and he'll do it. And risk going to jail all because he want to get hot. And I was like, this shit crazy. Um, <laughs> and it's good It's good to have power when you was a bully nerd. You know what I mean? When you get that type of power, you be like, yeah, I can make motherfuckers pay now. You know what I mean? So I get a call one day because this lady wants, this, what, this, this client that we know wants to buy some rocks, but she ain't got no money. So my homeboy was like, just take her, get your dicks up. You know what I mean? Uh, give, her, give her a rock. So this is how it all ties in. She drive, I had to sneak out because it's a private college and they watch everything you do, right? So I go outside, get in the car. We go to this, behind this grocery store, right? And like, she's serving me, you know what I mean? She's sucking my dick and she's like, uh, yeah, um, I'm really like bisexual. So next time, maybe I can get my girlfriend and I to fuck you instead because I don't really like sucking dick. I don't even suck my husband dick. And it, <laughs> And in my mind, I'm like, nah, I want them $20. Maybe you could ask your kid for that $20, just like my dad asked me for the 20 you know what I mean? Because it's all payback by this time to me. And, um, and it was bad for her because I couldn't come, you know what I mean? I was taking a long time. I couldn't because I was, emotional. I was trying not to cry the whole time because 50 feet from us, it's a park, right? And it's a basketball court at this park. And at this park, it's a kid and his dad playing basketball and they bonding and I'm trying not to cry and hold in these tears while I get my dick sucked at the same time because I'm thinking I'm looking at a life that I could have had and as a result of me not having that life I ended up here in some bullshit ass American car getting my dick sucked and it, it was tough it was tough for both of us me and the lesbian that was sucking my dick <laughs> and I felt more sorry for her you know what I mean because her addiction Brought her to this point, you know what I mean? My decision wasn't that bad, you know, uh, but we both made it through. <laughs> we both made it through. I came. <laughs> and she got her rock, you know what I mean? I hope it was worth it. And that's it.
This is Resk. This is Frank Ocean, Diplo, and Mick Jones all together behind me now. And before that, we heard from Byron Bowers. He is at ByronBowersLive.com. Hey, do you have friends who are doing the whole Movember thing? That You know, the Movember Foundation has men grow mustaches in order to raise awareness about men's health. I can't really do it myself because I have a mustache. Now, people sometimes say, hey, you love Harry's.com, right? But you have a beard and a mustache already. Like, what's to shave? Well, I also have a neck and I have cheeks. (laughs) Man, do I have cheeks. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that Harry's is an official partner of the Movember Foundation. They're donating money and helping the cause. And if you've never tried Harry's before, you really do have to. My shaves have been baby smooth. If you don't know, Harry's was started by two guys who were just super passionate and felt that a really good shave could be made available for much, much, much less than you pay at the drugstore. These are German-made blades. They are awesome. The shaving cream is awesome. All of it is awesome. You get a Harry's starter set. It's an amazing deal. Just use our code RISK. You'll get $10 off. The set includes a razor handle, three beautiful blade cartridges, and your choice of the shaving cream or the foaming shave gel delivered right to your door. Shipping is free. Go to harrys.com right now. As a special offer for our fans, Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with the code RISK. That's harrys.com. Enter the code RISK. Now let me talk about what for many of us can often be the most nerve-wracking of subjects, money. Uh, the truth is that honest, hardworking folks often need a little extra, if you know what I mean. And banks don't always make it fast or easy. But I'll tell you who does, Avon. Avon provides access to personal loans from 1000 to 35000 You don't have to step in a branch. You go to avonoffer.com and check your competitive rate. Checking your rate is risk-free, no effect on your FICO score. Complete your application in minutes. The funds could be in your account as soon as tomorrow. See how easy and convenient borrowing from avonoffer.com is. Avant will give you a $50 Amazon.com gift card after you make your first payment on time. For this offer and to check your rate risk-free, go to avonoffer.com and enter the promo code KEVIN. That's A-V-A-N-T, offer.com, promo code KEVIN. Loans are made by WebBank. Funds are generally deposited via ACH for delivery next business day if approved by 4.30 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. FICO is a registered trademark of Fair Isaac Corporation. Amazon is not a sponsor of this promotion. Other restrictions apply. See the website for details. Our final story on this episode comes from our recent visit to Portland, Oregon, This is a story from a comedian, improviser, actor over there, David Koff, who has an absolutely charming show of his own that you should check out at fakeradio.net. Here he is now at the Risk Live show in Portland, David Koff, with a story we call You Are Going to Die. 
So when life hits, it usually hits pretty hard for me. There's very few in-betweens, which is great when love hits. And in the spring of 2011, love hit pretty hard. I met the woman who was going to be my wife, Mary. Mary and I have had the same group of extended mutual friends for about 15 years. We'd been at scores of the same events over and over and over and over and over again, but had never met. None of our mutual friends had even thought to introduce us, but here we were at a dinner party one night, and I walked in, and I thought I recognized her, and I did. I recognized her as my future wife. I went out on a date with her, and by the end of the second date, I knew she was it. She was intelligent. She wore these kind of flowy, hippie clothes. She didn't really need to wear any makeup and kind of didn't. She had a master's in environmental policy and fucking used it. She loved and protected animals. She was a vegetarian, as I had been for a huge chunk of time. And she was about the kindest person I'd ever met. Her heart was like my North Star. So... We dated, we courted, we got engaged, and we got married. And that was awesome. Three of our four parents couldn't be at the wedding. They had died. This is because about six weeks after I met my wife, the shit started hitting equally as hard as the love had started hitting initially. So, my mom, her dad, my cat, and my uncle all dropped from various types of cancer. Then my 19-year-old cat died. Then my dad died of something called Louis body dementia. Then the two cats in the backyard that we had fostered were both killed violently. So, four humans, four cats, one wife in about three years. Yes! <laughs> that was some crazy fucking epic shitstorm of death, okay? That was ridiculously, comedically shitstormy death. I mean, it was, at some point, I just had to imagine folks at work would pass me by and go, oh, there goes that cough kid. I wonder who else is going to die in his life this week, you know? I started jokingly referring to Mary as the angel of death, you know? She didn't like that. <laughs> Note to men in the audience, do not refer to your girlfriends, fiancés, or wives as the angel of death. That, that doesn't go over so well. In particular, two of the deaths I want to talk with you a little bit about. And uh, the first was my dad. And my dad had this thing called Lewy body dementia. It's... Uh, Essentially, Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's mixed together in an awesome snowball of turd. And it progresses. And in the end, he was in hospice and couldn't move, wasn't really aware of what was going on around him, and according to his living will, was removed from all food and water. And that's just how he wanted to go. And it was... Great that he did that, because all we had to do was follow his instructions. 
So five days into this, and it took 13 days, by the way, five days into this, I had scored this very rare opportunity. None of the family was there. They were all out. They were dealing with other things, and I had this chunk of time, and I just knew I needed to say goodbye. And I was sitting by him, and I was just sharing stories of my niece's birthday party, and I just, I just wanted to say the words, I love you, goodbye, I know you're dying, and it's okay. And I couldn't, it just got stuck, like right fucking there in my throat. So I just started you know, getting into my head, and I realized this was the opportunity, and I needed to say something. So finally, to this unmoving man, who's barely aware of what's going on around him at this point, I say, well, Dad, I can't say goodbye right now. How about I just say, so long for now, would that be okay? And he kind of looked over at me and smiled. And I mean, it was like someone just for a minute flipped the light switch on and my dad was back and I started crying because I noticed he was there. And I basically crawled on top of him and I wrapped my arms around him and I told him I loved him and I kissed him and he reached his arm up and he held me and he kissed me back. And I told him he was a great dad and I gave him permission to die and it was okay. And he was there, and he heard it, and it happened. And at the end, I decided I was going to do this weird thing with him. I don't know what caused me to think to do this, but I meditate. I meditate every day. And I said, well, Dad, I'm just going to meditate with you, okay? I'm just going to grab your hand. I'm just going to do what I do every morning, but I'll do it with you. So now I've heard stories of, we've all heard stories of people who say their life flashed before their eyes. You know, what I didn't realize was it was possible to watch somebody else's life flash before your eyes. And essentially, that's what happened. I wish I could describe this in a way that is scientifically accurate, but I can't. I closed my eyes and I entered into this slipstream of time, a time continuum, but with my dad. And we went back in time, back when he was a young man and a new father, and I was a young boy looking up at him, and he was huge. And then, boom, back in time even further, and he was now a little baby playing with his wooden blocks, and I saw him alone as an only child. And then, shoom, far into the future with me as a 50-year-old, as a father myself with my wife and my child, and then finally at the end as an 80-plus-year-old grandfather with two generations there with me. But this whole connection of my father and I in story and in time was incredibly healing. And this experience of saying goodbye to him helped me to learn how to let go. And and eight days later on that time continuum, he breathed his last breath and he was surrounded by his children. And I felt his chest go up and down the last time. The second death I wanted to tell you about was one of those two foster cats I'd mentioned earlier. That We lived in a crazy cat neighborhood, okay? (laughs) This was in Los Angeles. There are a lot of crazy cats in Los Angeles. Some have two legs, some have four. We can talk about it later. So... (laughs) 
We had a couple of stray cats in the backyard. We fostered them. We trapped them. We had them spayed and neutered. We fed them. Like, we did all these loving, awesome things for these cats. And we tried to domesticate them. And one of them kind of took really well. And she and I bonded like lifelong friends. And the other, her brother, didn't really like to be touched by humans and would just kind of crap right there on the spot if you tried to. So he just lived outside. And she kind of lived inside with us, but would go outside and they'd hang out together. And it was beautiful. Until it wasn't. And, you know, our neighbors upstairs had dogs, and we had a system worked out so that the dogs wouldn't be in the yard when the cats were. And essentially what happened one day was the system failed. Little girl, as we called her, was outside, and I guess she kind of came back into the yard when the neighbors, two dogs, were out in the yard with our neighbors. And they were pit bulls, and they were off-leash, and they attacked. And the first thing Mary and I heard were shrieks from the cat. She bolts. The second thing I hear are her shrieks. So I bolt. And I bolt right outside. And what I see is a scene of two pit bulls. One's got little girl in her mouth. The other is trying to grab the other side of the girl. And I have had a little bit of experience with a pit bull. So I just ran full steam in the middle of these two dogs. And I just pummeled one to the ground, the one with her in her mouth, and she didn't let go. And I grabbed her head, and I slammed that dog's head onto the ground as hard as I could. And it took three times for her to let go of that cat. But she did. And I scooped the cat up, and I got her away. And she died in arms. And I felt helpless I still, years later, can't unsee that. I can't. Her body failed. And what I learned from that death was it doesn't matter how much you try to rescue a life. If they're meant to die, they're going to die. And that was hard. That one was hard, almost harder than my dad, because my dad went peacefully and she did not. Yeah. (laughs) My response at this epic shitstorm of death was anger, a lot of anger. I got angry at people. I got angry at inanimate objects. I yelled at my fucking car door because I had left my sunglasses in the car. And when I turned around to go back and get my sunglasses, I opened the door into my forehead. My coworkers walked past and saw me yelling obscenities at my car door. I got angry at myself. Why couldn't have I just had my shit together earlier in my life? Maybe if I'd met Mary when I was in my 20s or my 30s, she could have known both of my parents. I could have known her dad. They could have seen us have kids and know their grandchildren and our children know them. And then I got angry at God. Because fuck you. Who does that? Who does that? The God I believe in is kind and benevolent and omniscient and all-loving. Who takes somebody's mother when she's 65 after battling breast cancer for seven years and then three years later takes his dad to a disease that basically makes him wither away in multiple fashions? What kind of fucking God does that? And then in the end, of course, which is when it always comes, you know, acceptance and sadness and depression, and medication, (laughs) and therapy, and talking about death. 
a lot to everybody. And it started to dawn on me, you know, we have this funny little problem, us humans, us modern humans. We have this funny little problem talking about death. Never mind that we know that everything which is born will also die. We have these funny rules around death. First rule is, we don't really talk about our own death unless it's a professional conversation with a financial planner or a lawyer. (laughs) And even then, it's only what happens after we die. When talking about other people's deaths, we don't even use the word death. We use these weird passive metaphors instead of the actual word itself, like passed away or went to sleep or lost the battle. These are arcane rules which need to be thrown away. We all need to start talking openly about death, openly, honestly, boldly. So everybody, repeat after me. I am going to die. I am going to die. That was excellent. Now, A little harder. This is the graduate level course. Turn to the person next to you and say, You are going to die. Okay. So now here's the icing on the cake. Now say, Death is a natural and beautiful part of the universe. So congratulations, we're now starting to talk about death. Oh yeah. So after all that death, man, we really wanted some life, Mary and I, so we just started fucking. (laughs) Sorry, honey. We wanted to have a baby. You know, it's just like, well, we're going to have to replace death with life. So, and we didn't have to wait very long. You know, within a year of getting married, we got pregnant. And uh, we had a miscarriage. It was something called a blighted ovum. And it, it happens to 50% of all miscarriages in the first trimester. No worries. Mathematics. We're a little bit older than your average couple. Fine. Part of the deal. We'll just do it again. So Mary has a procedure called a DNC, which is the surgical equivalent of sticking a Hoover into your uterus and sucking out the contents. We go home, we lick our wounds, and we try again. And not even a half a year later, we got pregnant a second time. And we had another miscarriage. That's right, motherfuckers. <laughs> two for two. Now, after the first time, I told Mary, you know, look, we've told a few friends and family, and they got back to us when we told them we'd had a miscarriage and let us know, you know, we kind of, we had one of those too. And this sort of weird pattern started emerging that there was this secret society of other people that had had miscarriages but hadn't talked about it. And when I say other people, I mean like my best friend of 30 years and my brother. (laughs) My brother! And I get it, they didn't want to talk about it because it was this like weird little subculture of death, right? This little neighborhood where it's death inside of life. It's it's death inside of you, but you go on living and that thing doesn't. And that's fucking trippy. So, okay, 
They didn't want to talk about it, but we were on to something. I told Mary, I want to post about it on Facebook, and she said, absolutely not. And I am a good husband, and I love my wife, and I respect her, and I didn't post about it. But when we had our second miscarriage, I said, I want to post about it. And she said, absolutely not. And I'm a good husband, and I love my wife, and I respect her, so I said, okay. And then last year at Christmas, we got pregnant a third time. And we still told a very small, select group of people, but I held my breath. And when we had our first ultrasound, there on the screen was a heartbeat. There was a heartbeat. And I saw it. It was 120 beats per minute. And I cried because, God damn it, there was life. There it was. Unmistakable. There it is. We got the little printout and everything. Oh, yeah. Well... We had a third miscarriage. Three weeks later, we found out the embryo had stopped developing. After Mary's third DNC procedure, on the way from the hospital into the car, she just looks at me and says, you go ahead and post about anything you want. (laughs) And we both posted about it. She did too. And I mean, it was like matter and antimatter colliding. We got deluged with public and private messages because we told the entire story. Friends of ours that had three, four, five miscarriages, some of them that had tubal pregnancies, pregnancies where it's inside the fallopian tube where if you don't do something, you'll die. We heard stories of women who had a successful nine-month term and then delivered stillborns. Oh, fuck that. That put us right in our place. It did for me anyway. There are many, many, many women that have gone through this process. We need to start declassifying our stories. We realized that when we posted, we opened up the floodgates and people responded. Six months after that, Mark Zuckerberg posted about the miscarriage he and his wife had, and social media lit up. So it kind of confirmed this theory that we both had that there's a lot of stuff going on that nobody is talking about but should. Death is powerful, but it's healing. And the thing that we wanted most, which was life, that ultimately we didn't get from our pregnancies, we got from our community. They rose up and gave us their own stories of hope and inspiration and trials and tribulations, and we realized we weren't alone. It's what we needed. But I'm no different than any of you sitting here. We all have these classified stories that we haven't yet told because we're afraid. So, don't be afraid. Share your stories you will get, I promise, the same response Mary and I got when we shared our details, a deluge of love and support. So talk about whatever you want. Just be real. Talk. Share your real life, and your community will rise up when you least expect it. Thank you.
Chinese car I've ever seen Back seat is nice and clean She rides as quiet as a dream Someone dug a hole six long feet in the ground I said goodbye to you and I threw my roses down Ain't nothing left at all in the end of being proud with me riding in this car And you flying through them clouds I've had some time to think about it And watch the sun sing like a storm I've had some time to think about you all along This is Risk. This is Patty Griffin behind me now. And I am now going to read a very long list of places Risk is coming. On November 21st, we're in Cleveland, Ohio. On the 28th, we're in L.A., on the 12th of December, we are in Salt Lake City. We're still taking pitches for that. The theme is Twisted. In January, we'll be in San Francisco and in Nashville, Tennessee. Those dates are yet to be announced. We will also be moving our New York show to the Bell House in Brooklyn on the 27th of January. In February, we are doing three towns in Texas, Austin, Dallas and Houston. The dates are to be determined, but the themes are as follows. Austin is confused, Dallas is guilty, and Houston is hostile. <laughs> in March, we'll be in Washington, D.C. and Chicago. Washington, the theme is powerless. Chicago, the theme is ecstatic. So most of those dates are as yet to be determined, but we are taking pitches. You can always pitch me directly at kevin at risk-show.com or you can get a little bit of help, a little guide to how to pitch us at risk-show.com slash submissions. Another place you can get help with your storytelling is at thestorystudio.org. You can take our online courses, Storytelling for Business, or Intro to Storytelling, in your own time. You can watch videos of me teaching, download worksheets to workshop your stories, and those workshops are just jam-packed with very helpful, very practical tips on putting a good story together. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.